What's going on, Gateway? You guys are stuck with me this morning. I'm sorry. Um, uh, my, uh, my name is Jeremiah. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the director of student ministries here at Gateway Church. Uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Angie uh, wanted me to make sure that you know that they're sending their love and my jealousy from all the way from Mexico. And so uh, they're, they're, they're with a much-needed vacation, getting some much-needed rest for how hard they work for our congregation and the headaches that I give them. So uh, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely glad that they're getting some rest, which gives me the opportunity to share the word this morning with you. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to share, um, we're seven weeks away from having our second child. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, his name is going to be Judah Aslan, and if, you, if you're wondering, I do think he's just going to come out as a lion. So uh, I'm hoping, you know, he'll be fierce. Um, Beth, who's, who's a member of our congregation, uh, prophesied over, over Danielle and I um, that Judah would be bold and not just hit as a witness to us, so we were very blessed by that. But we're seven weeks away from having our second baby, and I thought it was a perfect time to talk about patience. Um, so <laughs> this morning I'm going to be preaching on patience. And I wanted to share with you guys uh, what's been on my heart about patience and the things that God has been speaking to me. So before you don't listen, because you know I'm, I'm a young I'm a young person, you you may think I'm not qualified to, to speak about patience. That's the perfect reason why I'm able to preach to you guys is because I'm working through these things the same way that God is working through you, and we're all figuring out this patience thing and living in, in Jesus together. Amen. So today I want to talk about what are some of the benefits of patience. And what are some of the things that God has called us to realize and the things that God is revealing in our lives when it comes to patience and, and the tie that that has in the way that we live? Galatians chapter 6, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so everyone say patience with me. <laughs> Said it, said it too fast. Uh, this is awkward. Okay. You can't say patience too fast because it's ironic. So you, gotta, you really got to understand, like, say it with me now. Patience. Feels awkward, doesn't it? <laughs> Feels awkward. There's something to that, though, that I want to talk about today. You see, we see in, in uh, Paul's talking about the fruits of the Spirit that patience is more than just an action, but it's a way of living. And when we understand that patience is more than just an action. It's more than just an opportunity that arises. You make a polarized choice whether or not you will be patient or not. Patience is a way of living that then dictates how we act, right? And so today I want to dive in and, and see exactly what the Word of God says about it. We're going to look at a couple of examples in the Bible about, about patient lives and, and the way that God worked through them. You see, too often we compare our patience to those around us or how we have done in the past instead of comparing it to the word of God. There's a thing in psychology, it's called confirmation bias. Has anyone ever heard of it? Confirmation bias is where you try to justify things because of the end result that you want to get, right? So it may not make factual sense or it may not make logical sense, but because you have an emotional tie to it, you'll do whatever it, ever it takes to confirm that that was the right thing that you did, the right thing that you wanna hear. And so often we do that with, with our actions in our lives. We want to compare it to other things, compare it to other people. Well, oh, well, you know, I, I don't have to be as patient with Elijah because Danielle snaps at him all the time. It's not true. It's the complete other way around, right? Uh, 
But that's called confirmation bias, and it's the exact opposite of what we're called to do when it comes to living a patient life in Christ. You see, patience takes sacrifice. And when we understand that there's a sacrifice involved in the patience that we live in, there's, there's sacrifice involved in living with any of the fruits of the spirits because we're born into a sinful nature, nature that is natural to us. You guys with me? Are you guys awake? Okay, I got to tell you, um, I, was so, I was so stoked when Joshua started rapping this morning. If you didn't know what that was, that was rap, okay? <laughs> not all rap is, is bad, right? But some of you guys may not know that Joshua has a very hidden talent, rapping, right? And so I, I remember going up to Joshua after our last Ignite the Night event, and I've heard this song played in a couple places, a couple youth places, and I was like, hey, Joshua, how do you feel about rapping? I don't know if he said this, but this is what you said in my mind. He said, yeah, I'll lay it down, <laughs> right? <laughs> Did you say that? You didn't say that? Okay, it's just in my head. It's just in my head. That's confirmation bias. That's a, a perfect example. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoyed worship this morning. You guys did an awesome job. I'm just so proud of you. Um, I got to tell you, being a youth pastor has taught me more about patience than anything. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for you guys um, in regards to today. So I took the time this week um, to think, I just took the time out of this week to really reflect on my life and, and, and see the, the opportunities that I had to be patient and the amount of times that I passed on that opportunity. The number was astronomical because so often we want to just look at the times that we're not patient and see how we can fix those. But not often enough do we look at our life in its entirety and figure out how can I live a more patient life in general. Because patience is a way of living. It dictates how we act. And we have to understand that it's a mindset that we're called to live in when it comes to patience. You see, we, we have to not only be willing to put up with the process of building patience in our life, but we have to learn to love and embrace that process. The process in our lives ironically requires patience. And that process is what nourishes the soil that we see in Luke about the parable of the sower. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people in, in Luke uh, chapter 8 here. And it says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some of you guys may be wondering, what does this have to do with patience? The word patience obviously comes from the root word patient. And if you, if you know Latin at all, the, the word patient in Latin means suffering, Right? The word patient in Latin means suffering. And when you understand that, that patient, the idea of patience is to persevere through suffering, it changes everything that we think about when it comes to patience and living a patient life. So often we think that, that patience is just letting time pass by. But too often we measure time in our own standards. We measure circumstances in our own standards. We measure patience based upon what other people think or what we think. But that's not what God has called us to do. You see, we have to allow God to reveal to us through these circumstances, through our suffering and through time, certain things in our lives if we are to understand what God has called us to do and how God has called us to live. Patience requires us to be good stewards of our time and aware of other, others' time as well. So I want to talk about three things this morning, three things when it comes to the patience that we have to allow God to reveal to us 
through time, through circumstances, through suffering. You guys with me this morning? Let's, let's go on to the first one here. Number one is that we have to allow God to reveal our weaknesses and magnify God's strengths. There's something important to note here. Um, there, there has to be a middle ground between God revealing our weaknesses and magnifying his strengths. That middle ground is called humility. Oh, humility. You see, over, over, over a period of time, I, I want to I challenge you guys as you're uh, meditating on this this week, looking back this week, if you do that, if you take notes, to go back and read the story of Moses because I, I, don't, I don't feel like there's many better examples of a life filled with patience, whether he wanted it to be patient or not, than the life of Moses. And what we see in, in regards to this in the life of Moses, right, is that M Moses had a very, very, very obvious weakness, and it took, a, a, it took time to reveal it, right? We know that Moses had a temper, right? Now, if, if you know me very well, there, oh, man, I guess I have a temper, right? Um, right, Daniel? I have a temper. It's genetic. So, all right, you know, I, I'm just kidding. No, but ever, ever since I was a kid, is it okay if I'm open with you guys this morning? Ever since I was a kid, I had the worst temper, man. And I remember, I remember uh, my dad telling me stories about my temper. And one time, um, I was about five years old, my dad told me this story. He was spanking me because I, I had stolen something from him, supposedly, right? Still defensive about it, I guess. And uh, I remember him telling me, that he laid me, he laid me over, his, over his lap to spank me, you know. It's not like he beat me or anything. He spanked me. And uh, he spanked me, and he, and he kind of missed. And he told me that I turned around, looked him in the eyes, and I said, you missed. <laughs> and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I had a temper growing up. I had an attitude, right? If you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sarcastic. I try not to be. Um, I'm, I'm a very sarcastic person. But I, I feel like it was the same with Moses because when, when Moses goes up to this Egyptian that's beating an Israelite, right, what is, does anyone know what he does? He kills him, right? He kills him and then hopes that nobody finds out. Well, the next day, right, he's having a conversation with an Egyptian, and the Egyptian says, well, are you just going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Right? Moses had a very obvious weakness in his life, and we see Moses run away for 40 years, right? It took Moses 40 years to get between the weakness and the strength point in his life. 40 years of humility. Do you also know that Moses calls himself under the influence of the Spirit, the most humble man to ever live? Right? It wasn't, it wasn't Moses saying it, right? I always, I always laugh when I read it because I'm like, how are you going to call yourself the most humble person to ever live, right? But it's, it was the Spirit of God in Moses that had him write those words. It's the same, it's the same way that what John, John writes, right? We see in John, he's like, I was the beloved disciple of Christ. <laughs> right? I just want you to think about this because you got to understand, like Moses is calling himself the most humble man, but it's under the influence of the Spirit of God, and Moses was very humble. But in order for God to work in your life, you have to humble yourself to realize that you're going you're gonna to see your max potential when you're at your weakest point. 
Because there's, there's not any of you that's doing the task, but rather it's all of God in your life doing that task. And when you understand that the strength of God in your life, even the drop of the strength of God in your life is more than the most strength that you could put out in your life, you're going to move mountains. Even a mustard seed of faith will move a mountain. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There was no one better to share this verse than Paul because of what he walked through. It took, it took Saul at the time losing his vision and having an encounter with Jesus Christ to realize that he needed to step out and change his life. But the important thing to realize is that when you step out and change your life, when you experience the strength of God, that it's not a perfect road ahead of you. There's persecution, there's trials, but because of the strength of God, we're allowed to be confident in our weaknesses and understand that God's strength will carry us past anything that we could ever face. But it takes patience. It takes patience. It takes building your roots in the soil of God. It takes building your roots your foundations of your faith to be built on the right thing and not on faulty, false, or quick things. See, that parable talked about, talked about the plant that sprung up quickly and withered away because it didn't have a root system. I'm reading this book right now called Rooted. It's by Benning Liebscher. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he, he's the founder and creator of Jesus Culture. He came out of Bethel. And he talks about the importance of building your roots in the soil of God, in the time that that takes. Do we have any gardeners in here? Farmers, gardeners? No? <laughs> one? I think I saw one hand. Okay, I'll talk to you. All right. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're gardening and farming, can you tell me how important is it to make sure that you have the right soil? Very. Right? Because if you just, you, let's just say you want to get it done, you got 20 minutes, I'm just going to throw a plant in there and hope it gets done, Right? Everyone laughs, but we do the same thing with our faith. We expect to say, man, oh yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, all the emotions, they're feeling so great right now because I had this connection with God. But then when life happens and you're back down to earth and you're back down to circumstances, temptations, and suffering, you just expect your roots to be there when you didn't take any time to take care of the soil, to pick out the rocks you got to make sure your soil is right, and that takes patience. Another great example of, of this here is the life of Peter. Now, I, you know, I compare, if there was anyone in the Bible that I would be like, man, that's me. It's, it's my man Peter, Petey, right? <laughs> Peter was, was the gung-ho disciple, right? We see it all the time. Right, Jesus is having this, this encounter on the mountain, and Peter's the one who's like, look, here's what we're going to do, Jesus. Just listen up, okay? We're going to build two tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and we're just going to stay here the rest of our lives. Peter's the one in the, in the garden when they come to take Jesus. He's like, whatcha? And he misses and cuts the guy's ear off. Like, how do you miss? I don't understand that. <laughs> Peter's, Peter's the one who Jesus tells him, by the time the day's over, you're going to deny me three times. And you know Peter, Peter's like, come on, Jesus, you don't know anything. Like, I would never deny you. 
And then we read on and, and the rooster crows and Peter's like, no. Oh. See, Peter, Peter had weaknesses in his life that took time, that took circumstances to open up. The beautiful thing about this is Peter, we see Peter had to become humbled. When Jesus rises, rises you know, from the dead and, and he's, he's talking to the person on the road and he says, go get my disciples and, thank you, go get my disciples and Peter, right? Because Peter was, was so humbled by this, he was so embarrassed that he didn't even consider himself to be a disciple anymore. It took humility to reveal the weakness and get this, Christ built his church on Peter because he understood that, that his weaknesses were so great in his life that he needed God's strength more than ever. And that's the only way that the church was built on Peter. It wasn't because Peter was a good speaker, a good communicator. It was because the power of God was working through Peter in a humble way that it never had before. And when Jesus left, he knew that the timing was right. Jesus was patient about what had happened. Jesus could have stopped all that from happening. Jesus didn't have to put the ear back on the guy and heal it. But he understood that the right doors will open in the right time in the right way. And when you begin to understand that in your own life, will you say, how does that operate in my own life? you got to live a life filled with patience and understanding that God is the, is the master of your time. God is the steward of your time. Amen? Number two here, let's move on. Number two, you have to allow God to reveal the foundations of your faith. Jeremiah 17, 8 says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. <clears throat> for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Beautiful verse. You know how you can tell when you're being patient and when God is operating through you? You bear fruit in a season of drought. See, too often we, we get complacent with saying, well, there's, there's hard things going on in my life and, and I'm just cool with keeping my faith right now because I'm barely hanging on. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that in those times, not only are you going to hang on to your faith, are you going to be a, a tree firmly planted, but you're going to bear fruit and people are going to see that and they're going to come to Christ because of the things that are happening in your life. Not because of your strength, but because they see the power of God working through your life in those circumstances. I have the, I have the opportunity of, of pastoring our youth and, and obviously, you know, youth go through some hard times. You guys remember what it was like to be in high school, right? It's been so, sorry, <laughs> made me laugh. He said it's been so long. Um, threw me off, sorry. Woo. All right, back on track here. In, the, in those times when, when, you're, when you're being developed and God is developing you, it seems like the enemy wants to attack you more than ever, right? I've started noticing, I've started noticing, and don't, don't judge me, but when Pastor Derek goes out of town, when my shepherd goes out of town, I get tempted more than ever. I get angrier quicker than ever. I get frustrated quicker than ever because the devil sees an opportunity to step in. There's a very real enemy out there, and he doesn't operate patiently because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. When you understand 
that the fruits of the Spirit in your life are a way of living and not just a dictation of your actions, you begin to understand that the fruits, if you live by the fruits of the Spirit, you're going to start to make hell nervous. I want to live a life that makes hell nervous. Any, anyone with me? I want to live a life that makes hell nervous. Some of you guys are nervous right now because I'm talking about the devil. You're like, oh my gosh. I want to live a life that makes hell nervous, and that takes the fruits of the Spirit. That takes patience. That takes gentleness. That takes kindness. That takes self-control. All of those things are, are surrounding impatience. And when we understand that, when we understand that, that we allow time and circumstances to reveal truly where our faith is at, are we planted by the living water of God in our lives? Are you planted in the word of God? Are you planted in worship? Are you planted in prayer? Are you planted in your own expectations of what God should look like in your life? Because the Bible has something very different to say than what our natural nature is of what God should look like. Because we're selfish. You know, I, 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 um, I was convicted recently of not being patient. Surprise. Um, we went to Texas Roadhouse a couple, couple weeks ago. Daniel and I did after service. And... Uh, we got, we got seated, we walked in, got seated, called ahead, you know, walked in, got seated, and uh, we're waiting for our waiter to come up. Well, we see the waiter come and go a couple times, don't think anything about it, you know, he's busy, whatever. Well, then we see, we see another family get seated, and the waiter comes up and asks them for their drinks. So at this point, I'm thinking, man, maybe he doesn't see us. Another family comes up right next to, next to our booth, gets seated, gets, gets their drinks. And at, at this point, he actually looks at Elijah and starts making a little joke, like, hey, how cute. And I'm sitting here like, where are my drinks? You haven't even asked us what we want to drink, right? And so at, at this point, Dan, you know, Danielle's the nice one. She's all like, oh, right? And me, I, I'm sitting there like, I am thirsty, right? And so we, we wait a little bit longer. I'm like, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll get a free meal out of it. Woohoo. Um, another family comes sit down. At this point, the whole area is full. At this point, people are getting their appetizers that sat after us before we're even asked what we want to drink. So I'm sitting there, like, trying to make it as obvious as possible. The waiter's coming in. I'm like, hello, hey. And so I, I actually have to get up and go ask for a manager for what's going on. Because this, guy, this guy's like made eye contact with me like 10 times and I, it's like awkward. I'm like, right? Like, hey, whoo, hey, whoo, right? And Danielle, of course, is over there like, it's okay, babe. Why don't you just go get somebody? I'm like, oh, get somebody. That's... <laughs> so I get up and I ask, ask for a manager. And... Uh, as I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize it until I was studying for my sermon this week. This story popped into my head. How impatient and rude I was to that waiter, right? The waiter, you know, after we talked to the manager or whatever, only got a 10% discount. Isn't that wacky? Whatever. Oh, side note, sorry. Anyways. <laughs> the, waiter, the waiter comes up to us, or excuse me, the manager comes up and, and is like, you know, explain the situation, what's going on. And, uh, you know, she asked, well, do you want a different waitress? And I was like, yes, I want a different waitress because maybe then they'll talk to me, right? And, I, you know, it was obvious the, the way that I was treating this waiter was not the, the way that he deserved to be treated. And two minutes later, the, the waiter comes up to me, uh, the one that had been missing us, 
and apologizes. He says, you know, I'm sorry, I, I guess it just didn't register, I forgot. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how is that possible, right? But as I was studying this sermon this week, it, it hit me. That guy had been working there for 10 years and had never gotten a complaint. Never gotten a complaint in 10 years. It was a weird circumstance, and I'm starting to think, like, man, maybe God was testing my patience for this sermon. <laughs> right? 10 years and no complaints? God convicted me because I thought the circumstances should have been different. Never let the, the circumstances that are thrown your way dictate the way you act. Let the fruits of the Spirit dictate the way you act, regardless of the circumstance, because they will come your way. Amen? Psalms 1, 2 through 3 says, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river banks, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, they prosper in all they do. That was Psalms 1, 2 through 3. Where are you planted? Are you built on the rock? Is your house built on the rock? We have to let time and circumstances reveal this to us and not shake us. We have to let God reveal these things to us without shaking us or killing our faith. Look, if you can't handle a small circumstance like that the right way, how is God going to throw big things into your life that you want to see happen? The Bible says be faithful over little and God will make you ruler over much. No matter how big a circumstance seems in your life, you got to understand that God is just trying to test your faithfulness in the little things so that he can give you much, much, much more in your life. You see, in, in Exodus chapter 14, looking back at Moses again, Moses' faith was tested by the Israelites. They're coming out of Egypt, right? They're running, ah, the Egyptians, right? And they're, they're on the bank of the Red Sea. And, and they're trapped, right? They know the Egyptians are coming behind them. The Egyptians are camping out. And they start asking Moses, what is your problem? Where are you taking us, man? It would be, it, I would much rather live and serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. I can imagine in this time when thousands of people are questioning your leadership, you might be wondering where your faith is planted. But Moses, Moses was by the streams, man. Moses was by the word of God. Moses was where his knees hit the ground and when he was begging God to set them free, and God promised that he would deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians into the promised land. There are going to be people who question your faith, that question what God has said in your life. But if you don't know for 100% sure what God is telling you, you're going to waver in your faith. You say, how do I know 100% what God is telling me? Get inside of your word. Get, get on your knees in prayer because when you start to hear the voice of God, there isn't a doubt about what the other voices are in your life. You got to start somewhere. You got to start taking rocks out of your soil. You got to start digging. You got to start enriching that soil. You got to start watering the seed because otherwise it's just going to die off. Because circumstances and suffering and temptation will come along. There will be birds that will come along and want to take that seed off of you. They'll want to take that seed away from you from what God is already saying in your life. And unless you start watering it and taking care of it, you're not going to have a foundation for your faith. Moses had a foundation for his faith. He was humbled by the things, the mistakes that he made. 
And he allowed God to magnify his strengths through his life. And when these times come when thousands of people are questioning his leadership, thousands of people are wanting to turn back into slavery, when that point comes, what are you going to do? We see in Exodus 14, the very next thing that happens, it says, the Lord said. Moses knew what to do. He opened up his ears. Too often when circumstances and situations come up, what do we want to do? We want to start talking. We want to start justifying what's going on. We want to do it on our own strength and not on our knees. There's something powerful about prayer. I just want to, I just want to share this with you because, look, if you've, never, if you've never tried, if you've never tried to pray and you never tried to build your prayer life, there's something powerful that comes with prayer. I, I have this experience of, of growing up a Christian. I didn't, I didn't understand what prayer was. You know, people told me, well, it's where you talk and hear from God. I didn't, I didn't get it. Until a couple years ago, I decided, you know what, this year, 2015, it was last year, I'm going to make this a year of prayer in my life. And I started to hear from God in ways that I, that I never could. I started to be able to understand that there were other voices that were, that were trying to talk to me, trying to, trying to say things, media influence, all those things, friends and family. And I started to hear from the voice of God. And that is when I knew my foundation was being, beginning to be planted in the right place, in the living waters of God. Amen. This brings me to my final and third point here. We have to allow God to reveal the doors that only God can open. Reveal the doors that only God can open. So I got, I got saved when I was 14. Some of you guys may have heard me share this before. I don't, like, I don't like to admit this, okay? When I was 14, I didn't like to read at all. You know, I didn't like reading. So, you know, my youth pastor had told me, like, you need to get in the Word. You need to begin to understand what the Word of God says about your life. I said, well, is there another way to do it than read? Right? I love reading now. I praise God for that. So what I, what I strategically decided to do, I decided, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to get the word of God inside of me. I started watching VeggieTales <laughs> at 14 years old. I, I began watching VeggieTales videos to start figuring out what the stories of God were. Because, you know, I would, go, I would go to youth and talking about Jonah and the whale or whatever. I didn't know what was going on, right? I'm like, so a whale swallowed a man. Right. Okay. I'm sure there's a moral to that story, right? Okay, right. I started watching VeggieTales and, and other, other movies to get, get these stories inside of me. One of my favorite movies that we had, that I actually had watched before I was saved, I didn't, I didn't really know it was like biblical or anything, was The Prince of Egypt. Anyone else out there seen The Prince of Egypt? It's a, it's a cartoon movie. It's 100% accurate, okay, about the life of Moses. 100% accurate. You know, anyways, one of my favorite parts in the movie, right, is where the, uh, the Israelites are, are coming out of Egypt, right, and they come up to the Red Sea, ah, the Egyptians, like, in their chariots are chasing after them, you know, ah, Egyptians are, like, ready to come down the hill, do you guys know what I'm talking about, that scene? And the, an the anticipation, you got to fill this with me, because I was thinking about showing the movie, but I was like, ah, no, that's probably not smart. 
the anticipation here is unreal, okay? Like, I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to be drawn next. Like, I don't understand what's going to happen. And they come up to the Red Sea, and these Egyptians are on the top of the hill like, oh, we're ready, right? And just then, right, Moses, what does he do? Takes his staff, plants it on the ground, sea splits, right? Everyone's running through it. They're not running, they're walking, which I don't understand. But they're like walking through it, right? And at this point, the Egyptians are like, ah, we're going to come get you. Maybe we should watch the movie. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) But the the anticipation was so real, I didn't understand what was going to happen, right? That's the great thing about movies is there comes a point in a movie where the anticipation is so real that you kind of you know like the main character has to live. But because of the anticipation, you're so drawn to it, right? Does anybody ever feel that way? Looking back, you're like, man, like they're going to kill off the main character, right? And so when I, when I was watching this, I remember the anticipation. And it made me realize that God will open the right door for you in the right way at the right time. And it's the anticipation in your life of walking through those things that that makes God the great leader and father in your life that he is. Look, you may be walking through a tough circumstance right now. You may be walking through some of the hardest things that you've ever had to face. But God is waiting to open a door for you that you can never open on your own. You know, one time I, I told Danielle, as I was, I was praying through, you know, some stuff that was going on in our life. And I, I, came, I came to realize, I was talking to Danielle about doors and opportunities and things like that. And I came to realize that I was so busy looking at the doors that I had already walked through that there was no possible way that I could be looking at the doors ahead that God had already opened for me. You got to stop, stop looking at what could have been. And start looking at what God has for you. That takes patience. It takes understanding God's timing is sometimes out of your control. You know, in society today, especially American control, uh, culture, we want to have control over every aspect of our lives. And not having control over those things makes it feel uncomfortable to us. But when you lose control is actually when you gain the most control in the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? Because you stop, you stop worrying about the what's and the how's of what your faith looks like, but you're only concentrated on the why. And that's the love of God in your life. The love of Jesus Christ guiding you, the Holy Spirit guiding you, the word of God guiding you because you trust it. Not because it's convenient for you. Too often we try to define the circumstances of our life and what they should look like. Most times we get upset with God because we don't understand that God is working all things together for our good, for his kingdom, not for our personal worldly benefit. God wants to use you as a weapon. God wants to use you as a testimony. And when you lose control is when you'll gain the most in your life. Because God's got you. You know, if if there's one thing, like, I say to my youth, I feel too much, is that God's got you. 
tough things are going on in their life, God's got you, man. Parents are getting divorced. God's got you. Friend is cutting. Friend is thinking about committing suicide. God's got them. And we begin to understand that when we, when we submit ourselves and we're just, we're just ready to face forward, to face the things that God has for us, we'll start to see doors pop open as we're walking ahead. Doors are already open in your life. They may not be the doors that you're thinking or the, or the direction that you're thinking they'll be open to, but they're already open, and we just have to be looking ahead for what God has for us. We have to be in the word of God. You guys hear me say that you got to be in the word of God. That's because I believe it in my own life. This isn't, this isn't a Christianese thing. You have to be inside of the word of God to live a life full of God's potential that he has for you. God wants to do great things through you. It wasn't the cool, popular people that, that God picked. God didn't pick Moses because he could speak. In fact, the Bible says that Moses was not a good speaker, so he used someone else in his place to speak because that was God's strength, was finding people who were willing to submit to him. Moses disqualified himself because of a natural worldly talent. And God said, no, 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 you're not doing that because I already chose you, I already picked you, I already got that covered. I got you, Moses. Stop worrying. Because Moses was humble. Moses had faith. Moses was planted by the river. You say, well, why didn't God just pick Aaron then? Wouldn't it have been much easier? No, 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 no. You don't get it. Because God opens the door. God, God picks what happens, and we have to be okay with that. That's our calling as Christians, is we have to be okay with walking through the doors that God chooses for us, not the ones that we try to force open ourselves. Amen? I want to read, uh, read this right here real quick. Exodus 14, 21 through 22 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What a perfect end to the story, right? Right, God just opens the door and they're free to go, right? No. The next verse says that the Egyptians chased them. See, when God opens a door for you that you never thought would be open, you have to have the faith to walk through it and understand that God will take care of the things behind you. You've got to understand that your past doesn't disqualify the things that God is wanting to do in your future. That your antsiness, that your ambition, that your anxiousness doesn't stop you from living a patient-filled life. But rather, in patience, when, when, when the Egyptians are beating down on you, when you feel trapped in front of you, calling out, crying out to God and hearing what his voice says and what he's going to do in your life, and being willing to plant that staff and see doors open through faith. Amen? See, the reason that we fail in the midst of circumstances is not the amount that we can handle, but rather it is our lack of patience in what God is doing in our lives. The Bible says that God will not give us more than we can bear, right? God will not give us more than we can handle. But do you believe that? It's a, it's a it, you know, it makes me feel warm. That verse makes me feel warm, but do you believe it? Do you live it in your life? If you're taking notes, write this down. After, after all, all of the studying I did on patience, uh, realizing my own life, 
I feel that the key to patience is valuing other time, others' time more than your own. But too often we do not have that perspective. The other, other's part of that is including God's timing. See, so often, so often we pack our schedule busy with things going on, right? I was, I was studying, I was actually studying for my sermon this week at Starbucks off of Barnes. And I was sitting on, I was sitting on the, uh, uh, you know, tabletop there where they, where they bring your drinks out. And this lady, the, the worker lady is standing right in front of me. And I'm trying to get my sermon done, but she keeps trying to talk to me, right? Super friendly, really, you know, like quirky girl. Um, she keeps trying to talk to me. And my natural reaction was like, lady, leave me alone. I got to study, right? Like, can you not see that I'm like typing away here? And as, as I'm typing, literally as I'm typing this out, patience is valuing others' time more than your own. Hello? <laughs> I, I just, I looked up. I said, holy cow. <laughs> right? And I started to talk to this lady. She was, she was so warmed and welcome that she said, well, will you be here next week? I just want to, you know, I just love when people come in and talk to me. She's not saved, but she will be. I was, I'm, thankful for, I'm thankful for the opportunities and the doors that God is opening in my life, but we have to be willing to listen to him in those times. Amen? If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close with a response song. I want to close with a story here. This is a, a New York City cab driver sharing this. It says, I arrived at the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I honked again. Since this was going to be my last ride of my shift, I thought about just driving away. But instead, I put the car in park and walked up to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail, elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 90s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab, then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm, and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother to be treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued in a soft voice. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What, what route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. 
Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small, convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out of the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous and intent watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. He said, there are other passengers. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or honked once, then driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I, I have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. You have to be willing to live a life filled with patience. Stop packing your schedules so tight, trying to accomplish things that will only matter in this world. Start listening to the voice of God because opportunities are open all around you to live a patient life and show people the love of Christ. Why don't you guys stand and we'll worship.